Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends, and probably some rando too. But no complaining, because this is free. Free! This is Beauty and the Beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. I just finished taping an episode of the Unalienable podcast. That's a podcast hosted by active duty naval officer Lieutenant Michael Autry, where he shines light on current political discourse through the lens of the Constitution to which he's bound by oath to defend. Michael covers controversial topics of consequence and lays out thorough arguments drawn from the enlightenment principles of the founders. If you like what you hear, and I hope that you will, check out the Unalienable podcast using the links in the description. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unalienable Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Autry. Today, I'm doing my first actual video, and uh, you know, I usually do audio only, and with this face, surely you can understand why, but um, this is also my first ever interview, um, and I'm lucky and, and grateful to have such a well-known podcaster for my first ever interview. Before we get started, I have to cover my own ass by saying the opinions in this show are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official policy or prescription of the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy, or the U.S. government. All right, so my guest today is a YouTuber and podcaster, Matt Christensen. Matt takes on controversial topics and politics on his self-named YouTube channel and as a co-host on the podcast, Beauty and the Beta. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So Matt, uh, the focus of my podcast is the Constitution, and uh, so sure. but what I'd love is for this to be kind of a free-form conversation that goes wherever it may. Uh, I have some questions here that'll keep us that'll keep the ball rolling, but uh, feel free to go off on a tangent and feel free to ask me any questions if you want. Yeah, I by no means am a uh, constitutional scholar of any kind, and I am by no means qualified to uh, <laughs> to opine on the specifics of constitutional law, but I do frequently characterize the heart of uh, the current cultural debate as a question of bill of rights or not. Nah. I really do believe that honestly, the distinction between left and right, even though I think the right is a much bigger tent than the left is these days is a question of, do you believe in the values articulated by the bill of rights or don't you? And, and I, I really don't like that. I think this divide is that simple, but I think it's, I think it's pretty explanatory. Uh, right. that, that distinction. So excited to talk about it. Yeah. And just, uh, for a little bit of background, I'm just, I'm a Naval officer. I'm a civil engineer Corps officer. So I studied electrical engineering at the U S Naval Academy. I am no mm-hmm. constitutional scholar myself, but, um, you know, kind of the reason I started this podcast is because I, you know, I took an oath to support and defend the constitution of the United States. And I eventually realized that even though I took that oath and I think I take it seriously that I actually didn't know a lot about it. You know, I hadn't Mm -hmm. even actually read the whole thing and it's really short. So there's no excuse for that. Um, So, you know, I started this podcast so that I could learn. So whatever topic I'm going over, I dive into it. I read all about it. And 
And then I present what I've learned. And then so my audience can kind of grow with me and become better citizens together. So I'm, I don't claim to be a constitutional expert either. But I believe like Ben Franklin did that it's the it's the right and obligation of every American to to read and interpret the Constitution for himself. Sure. So I thought, first and foremost, um, I just thought we could uh, talk about your formative years. Uh, can mm -hmm. you tell me well, where you're from and uh, how'd you get where you are today, both philosophically and professionally as a YouTuber? Oh, man. Uh, how do I condense that? I've lived really all over. I mean, I, my entire extended family is from, um, from greater Minnesota. I grew up there half my childhood. My, my parents, my brother and I moved out to Montana when I was about 10. Um, and I became pretty politically interested really in high school. And when I, I was in high school, like oh four, oh five, oh six, and that was kind of the height of the controversial Bush years and the Iraq war. And I was, um, in, in my political formative years, I was very much a, uh, a member of the left, a reliable democratic voter, especially as I, I came to age, you know, 18 around that time. And, uh, I, I, I didn't like George Bush. I didn't like the war. I, I thought at the time that I stood against pretty much everything that he stood for. And I went to college out in Portland, Oregon, and I majored in political science. I studied political science there. I was a reliable lefty Democrat through that whole time. You know, I voted for Obama in 08 and, um, and, and again in 2012. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until really like 2014, 2015, 2016 in particular, that things in my mind started changing quite a lot. And to this day, I don't know if, um, I don't know how much of my perspective changed. I do know my perspective has changed on some issues, uh, things like uh, the Second Amendment in particular, things like the role of government in tax and spend, the scope and size of government, those sorts of things, abortion to some extent. But the one thing that pushed me away from the left firmly was a growing hostility to free speech. And that is something I've not changed my perspective on at all. I was just talking about this in a video earlier this week, but uh, the, the single incident that really got my mind thinking about where I stood politically was, was March of 2016. You'll recall Donald Trump had a campaign stump speech in Chicago, and it was shut down by violent protesters, rioters, quite frankly. They just physically shut down the event. And this was, uh, this was big news at the time. And I remember watching this confused, thinking like, well, I, I think Donald Trump's an idiot. Yeah, but why are we all celebrating the deplatforming of political speech? I thought that we all agreed on the master value of free speech, that we don't silence other people's speech if we disagree with it. We let them speak and we offer our own counter thoughts later. But that's not what was happening. And so, and this, this happened repeatedly. I mean, we saw this along Donald Trump's campaign trail several times over. His, his, his supporters uh, being met with violence, people trying to silence speech the whole time. And it really got me thinking, okay, if they're this wrong about the free speech issue, what else are they wrong about? And that's brought me to where I am today. I don't know necessarily how I classify myself politically. I would, I guess I fit most in the libertarian classical liberal camp. Uh, mostly I just want people to be free and left alone to pursue their own happiness, provided they aren't infringing on the rights of other people. That's kind of the general uh, structure or value system I try to uphold in, in deciding how, how and where I stand on particular issues. 
Well, it certainly sounds like you're a man after my own heart. And uh, I specifically wanted to talk about um, if we have time, and I hope we have time for more than this, but there's three different videos you've done in particular uh, okay. that have really inspired me. And uh, so I just started this podcast in April and uh, I largely decided to do it in response to the Parkland shooting and then the backlash after the shooting. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're about the same age then because I graduated high school in 07 and then I went to college yeah. and then failed out of college and then joined the Navy and oh, then okay. went to the Naval Academy. So I've been to college twice, but the second time I did much better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I graduated um, 06, so I might have okay. a year on you, but that's it. Yeah. So I remember the election of 08 was, it was the first time I could vote. I did not vote. Um, mm. I actually didn't vote until this most recent election for the first time um, because I definitely wasn't a lefty. Um, my, you know, my, uh, my dad very much hated Bush, uh, but then he also hated Obama. So he just hates everyone. But uh, <laughs> Well, a healthy skepticism of government is not, uh, not a terrible thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, just very apolitical, really. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I had a lot of opinions, but not a lot of it had to do with politics. So I didn't grow up. I wasn't taught to be one way or the other. Sure. Uh, it was kind of on me. Uh, but what did definitely resonate with me in 08 was, uh, honestly, it was Ron Paul's campaign. Um, and, you know, it, it actually coincided with my first political science class that I took. Hmm. Um, and we were learning about it just so happened we got to libertarianism in this whole spectrum of different political ideologies. And we got there like right as the campaign was going on. It was it was pretty perfect timing when like I think the spring of 07. So they were in, still in the primaries um, when uh, when I took that class. But or no, I guess it'd be spring of 08. <clears throat> yeah. But anyway, so, you know, when we when we started going through it, I never heard of it. But when we started talking about libertarianism and the harm principle, you know, John Stuart Mill and the idea that, you know, basically you should be as free as possible as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And mm -hmm it just was a no brainer for me. You know, it just made perfect sense to me and I wasn't taught to be that way. And I certainly, I'd say again, even though we were apolitical, I grew up pretty poor and I'd say my, you know, at least on my mom's side, uh, they vote for Democrats because they want rich people to pay more money. That's like generally how they, how they vote yeah. on, uh, you know, on economic issues like that. Um, so I wasn't swayed to do it, but it just resonated with me. Yeah, but, I think uh, I think and I think a lot of people identify with with that and feel that way. I think it gets complicated and tricky if there's any blind spot that that philosophy or worldview has. It is the degree to which you are willing to let others harm themselves, for example, right. and the degree to which certain behavior may not harm others in the strictest sense, but still contributes to a culture that is less than ideal. You know, you get into sticky areas such as. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with now, like, like, uh, you know, the drug use in Seattle and San Francisco, for example, like I want people to be free to use drugs even to be honest, yeah. but, but there is a downside to that, that it contributes to significant social decay. I think there's a lot of stuff going on with, uh, the transgender issues right now too, where it's like, as a technical matter, that doesn't, that doesn't harm me in any way. And I want people to live freely, even if it's in a way that I, think is inconsistent with the facts of the matter but right. but when we're enabling stuff like that to a degree that we are in fact denying biological reality in a lot of cases there's real social harm that comes from that so or at least you could argue that's the case so you know it's it is a philosophy that sounds great in simple terms on paper but it is not without some points of nuance that complicate it like anything else you know right yeah yeah it seems that pretty much any philosophy needs some nuance um just on its face, it resonates the most with me. And, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't vote for Ron Paul. Uh, you know, I didn't vote at all, like I said. I wish um, I could go but, back and vote for him now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. But, you know, and even at the time, you know, I think Ron Paul was a very imperfect messenger. Uh, you know, he didn't do himself any favors, right. You know, he's more extreme than I would consider myself, but I think it's just a great starting point is let's just be as free as we can get away with. And, you know, the government will come in and do whatever we need them to do. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the, it comes from the necessary and proper clause. You know, we use that to mean they can do anything they want. I think, I focus more on the necessary part. You know, they should only do what's necessary to accomplish the job, not whatever, you know, whatever they want to do. To yeah. That job. And I admire so. that he's a very principled thinker. I like people that stick to their principles and values, even when it leads to an unpalatable outcome for some people. Sometimes I think of um, the supposed gaffe that he had uh, in one of the debates. And I remember thinking it was such a terrible gaffe. It was it was when he was running. So maybe this was 2012. It was one of the Republican debates. I think it was 2012. And Wolf Blitzer had asked him uh, about basically the individual insurance mandate or the idea that you ought to be either mandated or free to buy insurance or not buy insurance. And Wolf Blitzer asked him something like, well, what if what if uh, somebody who doesn't have insurance gets in a car accident and has catastrophic injury? And his response was something to the effect of, well, that's freedom. And it sounds <laughs> very blunt and yeah. if you don't think about it it almost sounds kind of offensive like the freedom to get horrifically injured in a car accident but what he's talking about is you should be free to buy or not buy uh, any product really and ultimately you are responsible for preparing for worst case scenarios for yourself and your family that is a that is a risk that you take and a, and a burden that you should bear and i think it could be argued you know in, in, in totally credible ways it's just interesting that that was that was a gaffe for him but in reality it's actually perfectly consistent with his philosophy and right. i think it's probably the right answer in the long term yeah. even though it sounds i don't know inhumane or however they'd want to put it yeah yeah so i mean that was kind of so that in 2008 again since i didn't vote but it, it, it kind of was the first time i really started thinking about political philosophy you know mm -hmm. um I'd spent a good time, you know, philosophizing about religion and, and other kinds of stuff before that. But that's where it really hit me. And ever since I've kind of I've kind of held on to that. And uh, I've never been terribly overtly political. And again, I didn't vote. And mostly because I didn't feel like it was worth it. I wasn't like I felt the Democrats, the Democrat that won and the Republican that won their nominations has just never really felt like they represented me very well. And it wasn't until this most recent election that I decided, you know, to however broken the system is to just go ahead and, and try anyway. Um, yeah. You know, as, fr you know, as fruitless as I think it may be, you know, I started this podcast in April and that was, you know, again, sorry, I'm repeating myself, but cause we got on a tangent there, but it was, you know, it was in large part due to the response after the Parkland shooting, you know, there's been a lot of shootings and you know, it happens all the time and there's always a backlash from the left, but this one had such, it, it was different this time, you know, what, like the rhetoric was so much worse when we're talking about, you know, the NRA being terrorist and yeah. Marco Rubio being a child murderer. And it was just insane. I've never heard that before. I've definitely heard a lot of bad rhetoric, but that was something that was very different. And it felt like the movement that I find pretty egregious was actually, you know, it was growing. And the fact that the kids were involved and, you know, it, it seemed to me there was this, you know, swing happening and I wanted to get involved. And uh, so really it was, I've been thinking about it for a while, trying to get in, in into this, you know, podcast space and try and, you know, have a voice and, and speak up, you know, and, uh, you know, really on behalf of the constitution. And, uh, that's what really got me going. Yeah. So, it's a great time for that. I mean, that's, what's so exciting about the modern age is like, 
realistically, anybody with a webcam and a microphone and some compelling thoughts can get out there and do it. And if you got thoughts that are compelling enough, presentation that's compelling enough, there's no reason that your video can't be one of the most played tomorrow. Right. That's never that's never been the case previously. You know, there's always been gatekeepers to media and thought, whether it's book publishers or or TV companies or anything like that. Now it's just make your case, and if your case is really damn good, people are going to pay attention to it. That's exciting. Yeah, it is exciting, and it's really exciting to me that people like you and and also Colin Moriarty. I don't know if you've heard of him, but I yeah, did a I do podcast. Know him. With well, him I, too. I've not spoken with him, but I'm familiar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So people like you and him, um, it's really encouraging that people like you who could otherwise, um, you know, be resistant and unhelpful to other people trying to jump into this space and try and, you know, get in the conversation. You could view them as competition or, or something like that. But, you know, it seems like you're in more interested in paying it forward and keeping the good ideas flowing. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, I, the reason I got in this sort of accidentally is because there are values I want to promote and uphold that I do believe are under serious threat. And of course I'm looking for the end of the day, I need to be able to put food on my table like anybody else. But I, I genuinely, I care more about preserving a society that upholds those values than I do about like my personal paycheck at the end of the month or something like that. Anyone who's in YouTube for the money 99 times out of a hundred is going to be sorely disappointed. Like you're in the wrong business. If you're in it strictly for the cash, like there are, there are ways, but it's, it's a very, it's a very tough game. If you're just in it for money, there's probably other ways to, to make the cash that are more lucrative. Yeah. And myself, like I'm not making any money off of this. I'm very new at this. Um, yeah. But, uh, I guess but that's, that's yeah. the point though, is you want to start, doing it for its own sake because if if you don't enjoy it for its own sake if you wouldn't do it like for me i'd do it whether i got a hundred views or a hundred thousand views because i i genuinely enjoy doing it if that's not the case people you're just going to burn out you know it's like if that's why i say you can't chase money you can't chase views you can't chase those sort of things because they don't come easy you got to love doing it for its own sake yeah. Yeah. And that's something that's, that's definitely happened with me. So, you know, I'm in the Navy and I've been in the Navy for about eight and a half years and, you know, I, this is in no way trying to toot my own horn, but I I'd say people generally, people I know, uh, and it seems like a common problem, have a kind of a crisis of meaning, you know, pretty mm-hmm. much throughout their life. It, and, and, and at some point, most of us, unless we're lucky enough to be like, you know, maybe you and then a few other people, if we're lucky enough to do what we love and get paid for it, yeah. um, a few people are lucky enough to do that, but the rest of us need to find meaning outside of our work. Because if you're searching for it in work, um, you're going to be disappointed. And if that's the only place you're searching, then you may end up, you know, pretty depressed. So, you know, but I'd say that with, as, as a, as a Naval officer, um, I think I'm lucky enough to be in one of the few um, careers that offers quite a bit of meaning just on its face, just being a member of this, you know, something bigger than myself. Of course. um, yeah. Being a part of this brotherhood, sisterhood, you know, uh, the camaraderie that comes with that. Um, I've never lacked meaning since, cause you know, I, I first joined the Navy, I was 21. So pretty much I haven't worried about meaning since then, but as silly as it sounds, I kind of, I joined the military to fight and, uh, I kind of missed the war so far. You know, I've been, I, I became an officer three years ago before that I was at the Academy four years. So it's mm-hmm. really I've had three solid years, um, of, time, you know, I deployed for the first time a couple of years ago and I've been mm-hmm. deploying on and off 
since, but the place where we're at right now with most of us in the military, except for, you know, special forces and a few pilots that still get to, you know, put warheads on foreheads over there on ISIS. Um, the rest of us are honestly kind of bored and I'm not looking for a war. Then it's kind of silly to talk about, but in times of peace, there can be a little bit of a crisis of meaning. That's kind of a unique aspect of our life. So no, I'm lucky enough to be, sorry, you go ahead. I was going to say, I think you're spot on. I think even for, and I'm glad that you have that type of career sat, uh, satisfaction and thank you for serving, of course. Um, and I think you're right that we probably both have a high degree of enjoyment for what it is that we do professionally. Um, but even as I get a little bit older now, it's like the one thing that I crave or that I'm really looking forward to or planning for is like, okay, well, why do, why do I work so hard? Why should I work hard? Why should I try to build wealth for myself? Well, I want to provide for a family, you know, and I, and I'm, maybe you do. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but even with work that you really love that in itself I suspect is probably not sufficient for most people too. And I think that's part of the great lie culturally that we've put up. And I think it's especially uh, damaging for women is that you're going to find total satisfaction in your career as opposed to finding meaning and that purpose in your life that you're describing uh, at home in the family with what you pass on to a future generation. That's something outside of yourself. Uh, and I, I don't know... It just seems like culturally we're we're devaluing the family not only in things of not only in terms of like divorce rates and the way families fall apart but just in the way that we try to teach people what will make them happy like work harder work harder it'll make you rich yeah. and happy or whatever you maybe maybe but I think you'll probably be more happy if you have something stable and meaningful and loving at home you know right. Yeah and uh yeah, and I uh, I just got married a few few weeks Congratulations. ago. Congratulations! So, yeah, so I just timely started. Yeah, yeah, perfect timing for this. Um, so I agree. I mean, that's a huge thing for me. We've been together a few years, and we finally got married. And uh, you know, Navy wife is one of the hardest jobs ever. But of course, uh, yeah. I'm but she stuck with you, huh? She, yeah, she dealt yeah. with all the deployments and stuff. Yep, she's made it through a couple now. So, so I'm a lucky man. But um, but anyway, it's like the point is, I feel that. Uh, I probably am more lucky than most in just from being part of the military that we do, like I imagine more so and you know, not to bad mouth any other profession, but if, I mean, if I'm a mechanic, you know, working at Jiffy Lube, I may or may not get a lot of meaning from that job. You know, whether, I mean, it's a way to put food on the table and that's, you know, and that's always, that's always something, but um, so I'm lucky, right? That's what I'm trying to say. That, like being part of something bigger than myself is something that a lot of people don't get to, to do in their, in their career. But that said, I still kind of like you said, even, even though like what you do and what I do does provide meaning, even, even when we're making money, it's just not quite enough. And like I said, I'm kind of, yeah. and, maybe and, I, and I think that family at home is a meaning sufficient that I would be willing, if not eager to do a, a terrible job that I hate and still right. find some satisfaction in just yeah. the satisfaction, the act of putting that food on the table and the way you describe. And yeah. There's something to that, man. I, I think you're hitting it right when you say that it's con contribution to something that's greater than yourself. Like, I mean, I, I could, I, you know, I enjoy making these videos. I enjoy playing video games. I enjoy doing a whole bunch of stuff all by myself, but I can only do that for so long before I start to have creeping feelings of like selfishness, worthlessness, even like who am I helping but me? Yeah. And that's not, 
for long term, that's not a very satisfying feeling, even if you're rolling in the dough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and all that is to say that, uh, since I started this podcast, uh, I have a profound sense of meaning now. Like, you know, I mean, everything's going right for me. I'm pretty lucky. I got just got married, just started mm-hmm. this podcast a few months ago. And then I'm again, part of this, you know, military brotherhood. Um, but I, I've really found so much meaning in the work that I'm doing that I'm not getting paid for it. And that's why, like, even yeah. if I don't end up ever getting paid for this, you know, I'm not going to stop doing it. You know, as long as I still have, you know, something to talk about, I want to keep doing this because it's brought me a profound sense of meaning. And I, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was doing this for more than three years before there was any serious money involved. Like there was kind of part-time hobby money. Like maybe, you know, maybe you get like 50 bucks a month or something like yeah. that, but it was, it was meaningless. I was doing a real life desk job, yeah, uh, a quote unquote professional job. So, you know, for anyone getting a start, unless you, unless you strike it really lucky, it's like, there's going to be probably years of doing it for, for a hobby. And, right. and you should enjoy that, you know, and so if you don't, then what are you doing? Find a new hobby, basically, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And it, so I, it, it's kind of a, it's something that I only realized after I started this and I wish I had known sooner is, is just to look outside of work for meaning, yeah. um, find something that you like to do in your free time, find a hobby that actually gives you a sense of purpose. And, and it's blowing me away. Just, just how, how much, meaning I get out of this. So, you know, I definitely, anyone out there that, you know, has something they think that they can, that they want to say, and they think they can do it, you know, articulately and they maybe they're the kind of person that loves arguing and loves, you know, debating their friends. It's like, just get a microphone and give it a shot. It's really fulfilling. You know what the other encouraging part of it too, is like when I was younger, I very much thought that like internet friends were for nerds or like weirdos or whatever. Yeah. But the, what's so cool about this whole thing, the idea that a whole bunch of people who can, who are like-minded can circumvent the entire national media basically and start their own alternatives for disseminating information, that itself is awesome. But if I turn on cable news or other media sources, I often get the impression that like everybody out there is crazy because they think in ways that are so alien to me, I don't even understand them. But then you get on the internet and you find communities like this where... You can be very specific in your thought and you do learn, well, actually there are plenty of people out there who think in ways very similar to me and I can connect with them and I can interact with them and I can be friends with them. And even the social aspect of it is very satisfying. I mean, this, uh, this journey that I've been on on YouTube has changed what I do professionally, but it has fundamentally transformed my social life too. I mean, some of the most important people in my life, are in my life because of this, because of internet networking based on similar ideas, similar philosophy, similar worldview. It's uh, it's an incredibly rewarding, fulfilling community in addition to a source of good information you might not find elsewhere. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm just now getting into it and I'm really, you know, networking a little bit and, uh, you know, my second time I've had, you know, someone actually pretty big time that I've, ta- that I've spoken to. So I'm new at it and, uh, and I'm finding exactly what you're talking about to be true. Yeah. Yeah. If you stick to it, it's kind of a natural consequence, you know, yeah. I mean, odds are you keep doing this and you'll, you'll start to build an audience. Some pe- you know, you'll, you'll get a, you'll establish a relationship with people who comment on your videos or follow you on Twitter or whatever. Pretty soon you'll probably collab with some other people who are getting a start and trying to, trying to do something similar. 
And yeah. I mean, that's how Blonde and I got to start too. We were just both looking to do something similar and sort of fell into each other at the right time. And two years later, we're still doing a podcast show together that's going strong. It, yeah. it's, it's when you keep doing this stuff consistently, you basically network as a natural consequence, whether you're trying to do it or not, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I've, uh, I've been tiptoeing around this topic here. This, uh, I want this first episode that I ever saw of yours. I wanted to talk mm. about this one. Sure. So, um, so I had started this podcast in April and I was, and, and the reason I mentioned the, uh, the Parkland shooting and how that kind of inspired my start is because I want to convey to you how much, uh, one of your episodes actually altered my path, uh, into this, uh, into this show. Wow. Um, cool. So I started in April, like I put out my trailer in April of this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later I had my first episode ready and the, I really didn't get into any topic. The whole point of the first episode was kind of an intro, you know, it's like, who am I and why should you care what I think? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to, to sell that, that what makes my perspective a little different is, is being active duty military, you know? Um, and again, there's plenty of, amazing veterans out there, you know, changing the world with their thoughts and their ideas, but not a lot of active duty. And that's mostly because, you know, we're not really supposed to, or we think we're not supposed to, um, we can be, uh, political and public about it, but we just have to be careful. Um, like I'm not allowed to talk shit about any, you know, basically any politician. Um, I can't, you know, use contemptuous words about the president, vice president, secretary of anything, Congress, including any Congress person, um, or even the governor of the state I'm currently in. Uh, I can't what about talk Maxine about Waters? Either. Can you talk? Uh, you, no, I don't know if I can swear on your show. Can you talk? Ask about Maxine Waters. That's, that's got to be tempting. <laughs> there, uh, sometimes I'm pretty tempted, but yeah, um, I uh, I cannot use contemptuous words about sure. Maxine Waters. You feel free to. You absolutely can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I do that on my own time, on my yeah, own platform. I, to, definitely to my satisfaction. I've done plenty yeah. of it. Yeah, it's hard sometimes, but um, what I'm hoping is, you know, it, it makes me refine my arguments and it makes me, it keeps me from ever attacking anyone, which is, you know, kind of keeps me honest. And the, so it's kind of a good thing. Yeah, um, I guess, I guess I'd be curious about the distinction. Like you, yeah. you cannot use contemptuous words about a specific politician. Can you criticize the policy or the advocacy of that politician? Like in the case of Maxine Waters, I, I and many others have been harshly critical about her language, suggesting that we form mobs and harass people in public. Could you, and again, I'm not trying to put you in a spot where you have to yeah. violate so you can cop out to whatever you need. I, I shouldn't say cop out, but you know, yeah, no, not it. answer whatever you want. But would you be in violation of the restrictions to which you are bound if you criticized that advocacy, for example? So what I can say uh, incontrovertibly is that I think that policy that she is uh, proposing, you know, of you know, basically assaulting people and harassing people um, that they disagree with is uh, absolutely wrong. So mm-hmm. I can and do uh, critique and criticize policy. I can do that. What what I basically can't do is, uh, again, specifically contemptuous words about either the Congress as a whole or any particular congressperson. But policy, yeah, that's fair game. Yeah. And even that, as long as I do it 
in such a way that I'm not calling anyone names or kind of, uh, yeah. you know, degrading anyone. I can definitely disagree with policy and that's well, what I spent. You know, and that, that's a good rule anyway. As, as someone who likes to, don't get me wrong. I think that a little humor to spice up any project is good. And I try to use it, uh, where appropriate in my product too. But as a general rule, you really don't want to attack people. You want to stick to ideas. Now I will bend the rules slightly in some cases, but and I think you can do it to supplement a good argument. But when you want to craft a good argument, you can't rely solely on attacking people or it's not going to work. So right. maybe that rule is not the worst thing anyway. It's just a little more formal, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It is difficult at times. And I do think there are some times where I wish I could. And I do think maybe a, the point would hit home a little bit better if if I if only I could. Uh, but that's one restriction. And some people might find it refreshing. You know, Maybe people who are sick of CNN bad-mouthing President Trump or some other people who are sick of, you know, Fox News bad-mouthing Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. You know, people are sick of that, and they just want to talk about, you know, facts, and they want to talk about, you know, uh, ideas, then maybe sure. they'll find it refreshing. So, um, though, again, I would love to. And if I got out of the Navy tomorrow, I would totally talk crap about a lot of people. But, <laughs> you know, but I'm still in. So, uh, but anyway... Um, yeah, where did that even come from? We went on tangent about talking. We were talking about, about the the video or whatever <laughs> okay. whatever the first video you saw yeah. was, but we kind of deviated. Okay. Um, so, so, um, you know, when I started it, uh, oh yeah, because I was saying basically, active duty people don't really have a voice in the public opinion because we don't think we can, you know, mm -hmm. because we're just overly cautious, like you said. You know, you think even you had to, I had to clarify to you, even people in the military have the same worry, and they try not to 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 talk about controversial things mm -hmm. um, because they don't want to upset anyone, you know, any of our bosses. And we have so many bosses. Not only do I have officers appointed over me, you know, I have, but I have, you know, secretary of the Navy, secretary of defense, or, you know, president. I got, uh, you know, many, many bosses, uh, all of whom, and then, you know, Congress, even though they're not part of the chain of command, they, you know, they pay for us. So they're kind yeah. of our bosses too. So um, anyway, um, so I got into it, you know, with the same sort of fears in mind. That's why I gave the disclaimer at the beginning. That's one thing I do to cover my ass. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm open about being in the military, but, but by doing so, I need to also be clear that I nothing I'm saying represents the, the military. Um, so that's why I give that disclaimer. But anyway, I started I started it in April and it was so I did the intro because I felt that that was necessary. I need to explain why I'm doing this, why my perspective has kind of, you know, why it's a niche perspective. Uh, cause it's, I'm not the only constitution podcast out there. Um, you know, and then basically why people should care about the constitution and what it says, which is kind of an ongoing mission for me to convince people of that. But that was kind of the point of the first episode. But when I got, when I got to my first topic, constitutional topic to discuss, I was just rearing to go about guns. That's what I wanted to talk about. Mm so much was guns. That's the whole reason I started this. And that yeah. was like the straw that broke the camel's back that made me finally start. But my, my, my best friend, Jason, uh, he and I, you know, he was my roommate at the Academy. Um, and you know, he and I philosophize all the time. He's like my go-to guy to just philosophize with. We literally like pretty much have a standing date every weekend to just like call each other and talk about deep stuff. And we like, sure think about it and write it down and he makes me better and I make him better. Do you guys um, generally agree or are you uh, we, in opposition? We, we agree on a lot of stuff, but uh, we end up arguing about most everything, just about mm -hmm. nuance here and there, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And 
I usually convince him that he's wrong. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I, uh, well, but, a good, a good friend and a good challenger can do that, you, you know, yeah. and I would hope it works in the reverse too. Yeah. Yeah. He, he does. <laughs> so, and one thing he did, in fact, this is, you know, I, I kind of attribute this to you and him is, so I, I wanted to get going on, on guns and, mm-hmm. uh, and I did eventually get to guns and I think it was awesome, but, um, I decided instead for my first topic to actually discuss, to talk about free speech. Um, my first episode that was an actual topic is my second episode actually, but my uh, first constitutional topic I covered, I called it free speech and moral panic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the reason I decided to do that episode first, I had already started writing out a gun episode. Uh, you know, I, I was a good ways into it. And so it really slowed me down and I was also missing my opportunity. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to be opportunistic, but it helps to get it out while the controversy's hot. You know what I mean? Um, surely like you don't want to wait a month after somebody says something silly to do a, to do a podcast about what that person said. You yeah, know, sure. Like, yeah. Like, um, you know, but he, he showed me this episode that you did. It was uh, about free speech culture, and you did it back in April. So it was really new at the time uh, when I it was. It was probably this. about uh, Owen Benjamin, maybe. It was about his That's banning on Twitter. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and really, the points you made, I ended up. Uh, you know, it really hit me. It really hit home because I've always thought free speech is very important. Uh, it's always been really important to me, and I definitely planned on doing a free speech episode. But it occurred to me basically because of that episode and because so i spoke first i spoke with jason my buddy because he had just heard had just heard your episode and then we had a, one of our many conversations and he basically he was trying to convince me dude you should do free speech first because it's just so important it underlies everything else like every other problem we're having with the public debate uh, on anything else is is being ruined by this this you know by the lack of you know uh reverence for free speech and then he pointed me to that episode and uh and that was the first episode of yours i'd ever seen i'd never heard of you you know no offense i'm just not a good internet person so well um, none taken it's not like my reach is that far you know it's it's bigger than it has been but it's i got i got plenty of room to go you know yeah yeah so uh anyway he pointed it to me and uh and that was like the big one for me it made me realize that first of all uh that free speech really is the most important issue and every, and like almost every other problem we have, and it's not just the other problems we have, but our lack of ability to solve other problems is because of how we talk to each other. Yeah. And this whole deplatforming um, and this reactionary mode that everybody's in, and, 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 the, and the, the, the social media mobs. And so then I did a whole episode about free speech, you know, and since it's a constitution podcast, I thought that my whole point is to stick to the constitution. But as you pointed out, um, and uh, as you know, it makes sense when you think about it. So I kind of knew this, but you pointed it out so well. It is that you know the First Amendment doesn't, on its face, it doesn't protect us from other people trying to infringe our free speech. It protects right. us from the government trying to infringe our free speech. And it, and like you said, though, um, the, when you said that a uh, culture is upstream of policy, right? That 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 law yeah, it's comes. A, it's a famous uh, Andrew Breitbart quote. Yeah. So I spent a little bit of time in that episode talking about the actual First Amendment and how and what the government has done in our history that's been counter to the First Amendment. But I spent most of my time talking about, you know, the deplatforming of like Milo Yiannopoulos and uh, Brett Weinstein, not deplatforming, but like the reaction and him getting fired and and basically people's this reaction mob. What they want is to destroy people's lives. And um, so I just I really wanted to make the point that um, all legal arguments aside, um, 
that our commitment to free speech is really a matter of principle. Like, and yeah, you know, it's like, sure, it only applies to the government, but if free speech is important to us, then why does it matter who's violating it? Correct. Yeah. So that's why I I did it first. I spent so much time just making kind of articulating that point. And uh, that was the first episode I ever saw yours. And that's the reason that was the first time that's when I hit subscribe and Oh, well, well, great. And thank you. Yeah. And I think, I think you're exactly right. Like the implications of free speech are, they're foundational, um, but they're kind of multifaceted or there are several levels or reasons why we ought to protect it. One is that really it's a question of who owns your thoughts, right? Like, are, are you, should you be free to the autonomy of your own mind and your own thoughts? And I think speaking is part of that. Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot. Well, how are you free to think if you can't speak? If I can't speak, speak out loud, if I can't say certain things, we're really talking about speech control. Are we talking about mind control? Point is, if you don't have the freedom to the own, your own thoughts in your own head, you really don't have any freedom whatsoever. So there's that kind of individual liberty, personal autonomy angle to it, which is crucial. But the other angle to free speech is that it is just purely practical as far as cultivating a society that, frankly, builds the best ideas, creates the best stuff. How do you how do you ensure that the best ideas are out there and are thoroughly vetted and they have to compete with all the other noise and nonsense? You make sure people can speak freely and all the ideas compete pretty soon through the marketplace of ideas. The best ideas are at the top. And that means not only do we have the best ideas politically or as matters of public policy, but we have the best inventions. We have things like iPhones and computers and all sorts of new technology that wouldn't exist if we were trying to suppress those ideas in one way or the other. And the point is, we, we, as far as the founding of this country, we decided that the government infringing on those things is a huge problem. One, because it violates pers- uh, personal liberty, individual liberty. But two, because as a practical matter, it suppresses innovative thought. It suppresses challenging the status quo. It suppresses major technological development, frankly. So if you agree that the government ought not to intervene because it will have those negative effects, I don't understand how you could argue that individuals intervening as a matter of culture, if we just do that to each other, if we suppress each other as individual people rather than the government, how would that not have the same effect? It's, it's they're practically the same thing. And you know, the final point is you identified, it's like, the First Amendment is nothing but a legal articulation of cultural norms or standards. If you establish a cultural norm or standard that people ought to be punished culturally for wrong think, for having the wrong opinion, for saying the wrong thing, it's not much of a stretch to think they ought to be punished legally for those things. And once you erode the cultural standard, I think the legal standard naturally will follow. Uh, I think we're seeing that experiment play out in real time right now. I just hope that we don't see the legal standard start to fall. And thankfully, there's a huge, huge barrier to make that happen as, as a practical matter. For them to erase the First Amendment, at least in terms of amending the Constitution, not going to happen. The only hope they have would be stacking the court with revisionist activist judges, but at least based on what's going on with the court now, I don't think that's going to happen either. So even though there is a lot going on culturally to me that seems very hostile to the First Amendment, uh, and I do worry about the cultural standard as far as the, the, the legal document is concerned, I'm feeling pretty safe for at least our lifetime, but who knows? Yeah, um, it seems to me that Practically speaking, it's a, it's effectively the same thing. Whether it's you know even if it doesn't end up with a with a law change with a law changing, it's, it's, it's a different it's, jackboot. 
It's just right. a different jackboot stomping. Right. But why, the point is, yeah. I don't want any jackboots. I don't Absolutely. care if it's a government boot or if it's Antifa's boot. Yeah. And I think people just need, people need to sit down and actually critically think about why is free speech important? Most people just accept that as a given, but you know, most people do not surely not all like not Antifa, but like but if people really sit and think about it, then, then you got to realize that it's just as troubling if just mob, if mobs are doing it instead of the government. You know? And it's very foolish to think that the mob isn't going to turn against you. I think a lot of people yeah. like to side with the mob when they agree with the mob. And I understand yeah. that temptation to a certain degree. Like right now, the Twitter mobs are all the rage going against like these leftist actors in Hollywood and elsewhere. And there's a part of me that finds a certain satisfaction in watching people who have advocated the sword dying by the sword. <laughs> yeah. I kind of enjoy that. But I understand the danger in setting that precedent because I know that if I enable and celebrate this now, I'm setting a standard that for sure will burn me in the future. And I'd rather not burn by that. So yeah, it, it's, it's just foolishness. It's a lack of foresight. It's like, Oh, clearly all this authoritarian power will be used in ways that I like. It will never be used to, to trample my Liberty. You know, it's just yeah. foolishness. Yeah, that's something I actually talk about in every single episode so far. I've mentioned it and I plan it's probably it's always going to come up because it's really the whole purpose of me advocating for constitutionality and basically originalism in terms of construction um, is I always ask myself and I ask it every episode is, you know, whenever there's a given policy that we're that we're debating or a given, you know, idea for something that we can implement, I always ask myself, what would a tyrant do with this power? Hmm. You know, people, instead of just thinking about the ends, you know, we to think about the means and like what means are we putting in place and how could they be misused in the future? You know, I think the way I think our Constitution is set up so perfectly that even if Adolf Hitler himself was elected president in the perfect constitutional system, he would be powerless to oppress us. If the yeah. president, if the executive branch was held to his constitutionally to his constitutionally limited powers, he would be virtually powerless to oppress us. Same thing with Congress, same thing with the courts. And I think that's one of the just maddening inconsistencies with the left presently is on the, on the one hand, they want a ton of power in the executive and a ton of power in the courts, particularly now that they don't like the executive. But you would think that we could all agree. It's like, okay, you don't like this president. You don't want him to be able to do anything generally the structure of the constitution agrees. I mean, he has certain delegated powers, but he's restricted in a lot of ways. Why can't we agree on reducing executive power? Like their answer to everything is always more power in the government in one way or another. Like, Oh, I don't wait. I don't like the way this power is being exercised. Let's put more power into the government in one way or another. And then I get mad the next time that power is used in a way I don't like, well, you're you're setting the standard for that power to be used that way. The question shouldn't be, whether you like it or not, it's, it's whether this is a good structure, whether this is appropriately checked and balanced power structure, but yeah, oh, it's just, it's infuriating. It's really frustrating. It is. And, and, uh, and I think, so that's why to me, it's the fundamental question that I always ask. And I think, uh, and it's, and it's my, my baseline excuse for why the constitution is the right answer. And any question of policy is good idea. Fairies come all the time. And, and, and people tend to be consequentialist. And I, and I think this is true of the right and the left. I think p- on, in general, people are more consequentialist than, you know, principled. Um, what, what do you mean when you say that? That they look, that they judge something more by outcome than process, basically? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Like, 
you know, people only love, you know, democracy as long as, as long as the majority agrees with them, you know, yeah. as, long as, as long as the majority disagrees with them, they're, they're not majoritarians anymore. They want the courts yeah. to come in and stop it. Right. Yeah. Like a great example would be uh, like the DACA stuff. Like DACA was done through executive action by Obama. A lot of people who are in favor of uh, more leniency toward illegal immigrants celebrate that. Um, Trump comes in more kind of undoes DACA or is at least threatening to, and all of a sudden they turn around and say, well, the president can't do that. That's outside the scope of presidential authority. Okay, right. well, which is it? It's it, to your point. It's just a judgment of do I like the policy or not? Not was right. the policy created in uh, th through a through a good process or not? Right, and uh, you know I think we see it all the time. You know, especially like the budget now. That's another thing people are. So I never thought I'd hear you know uh, Democrats uh, you know decrying the budget as being you know that we're blowing out spending that the problem is you know they talk about the deficit it's like they care about the deficit all of a sudden you know and then you know under the obama administration that's what the tea party was basically came about is this you know i mean obviously civil liberties was one part of it but that the the spending and getting it under control was the whole point so it seems like whoever's in power just doesn't want to cut spending and whoever's not in power uses it as a tool to kind of beat the other side and say, look how much they're spending. So yeah, um, I never thought I'd see the day, but yeah, even the Democrats are upset about spending, you know, yeah, when and I, the I'm, Republicans are in charge. I don't want to give the impression that I give the Republicans a total break on this because yeah. I don't, and I don't consider myself like any kind of rank and file Republican at all. I try to maintain principles and remain independent and praise people when they do a good job and rip them when they don't. But I think there are so many people in the Democratic Party and on the left now that like their judgment of any particular policy or any particular outcome is not based on any set of values, any set of principles. It is purely based on if Trump did it bad, if Trump doesn't like it good, like Trump yeah. is basically their compass and they will just go the opposite direction to whatever he says. Yeah. Madness. And it's not I mean, I think it's bad. I think it's particularly bad with him. Like, I think the Trump derangement syndrome is a real thing, but there's, I mean, it, it does happen with, uh, with, with every president, I think to a fair degree that it's just, well, if he says it's good, it must be bad. Right. Yeah, that definitely happens. I think honestly, I kind of the best way I can put it is that I think this, I think it's a big problem on the left and it's, but it's somewhat of a problem on the right. And I've actually have an anecdote that kind of expressed this, a recent thing that mm -hmm. happened to me, but before I actually explain it, and I just want it's that these people, you know, mostly on the left, these people that, you know, when I'm saying consequentialists, right, uh, just like you're talking about, yeah. is um, I think I literally think if they lived during the founding era, they would have they would have been perfectly content with monarchy. Like, it's just consequentialists are perfectly happy with authoritarians as long as their favorite policies are in place. Yeah, like, they don't actually care about the process, and and people are only pretending to be principled when they say otherwise. And you know, this is a large accusation, and I'm not saying most people, but certainly a good chunk of people, and many of which have prominent voices. But I think that really any claim that they or for any principle they any principle they claim to have only applies when the policy they don't like is in place. So like. Democracy yeah. is only a principle as long as the majority is on their side. Small government's only a principle as long as big government is imposing a policy they disagree with. Yeah. Uh, constitutionalism is only a principle as long as it's being used against their enemies. Um, law and order, yeah. that's another big one. That's only a principle as long as the law in question is not in line with your own worldview. Um, 
you know, and then free speech. That's like, that's only a principle as long as the person speaking agrees with you, you know, yeah. and, uh, but the, to the point you're making, you don't judge your commitment to free speech or to any principle generally, but in the case of free speech, you don't judge your commitment to that principle by looking at speech that you agree with. You don't, you don't judge your commitment to free speech by listening to a podcast that you love. For example, you judge it by listening to one that you hate, that you disagree with on, on foundational terms, but still say, yeah, but I support its right to be out there uninterrupted by me. I, you know, big difference between I'm all for people joining the, uh, the exchange of ideas and disagreeing strongly. Like I'm all for that. And I welcome when people do that with me, but there's such a difference between saying, Hey Matt, I really disagreed with that video that you made. I disagreed with your argument. I think you're missing this X, Y, and Z. Here's my case versus I disagree with Matt, so I'm going to flag him and try to get him banned off of YouTube so he can't talk anymore. Yeah. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, like the, the example that I wanted to talk about real quick was that, uh, so I, my most recent episode was about the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, you know, I was already working on it. just so happens when Trump, when, uh, when uh, Justice Kennedy announced that he was uh, retiring. So that was pretty lucky timing for me. Yeah. I had been working on it for a few weeks because- when I did my interview with Colin Moriarty, it seemed that like we talked about all three branches of government and that was kind of my weakest one because I hadn't covered it yet in my own podcast. And I, that's probably true for most people that they know the least about the Supreme Court of any branch. But um, so I spent some, you know, so it was, it was perfect timing, but I put out the episode and I made the mistake. I mean, and this is the problem. It shouldn't even be a mistake, but I put out the episode and all I put was, you know, and again, I have this originalist philosophy. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, and I'm a libertarian. So you might be able to guess some of the stuff I would have to say about it. But um, my title was Supreme Court, the most dangerous branch, question mark. Mm. <laughs> All right. And, you know, I drew that directly from the Thomas Jefferson quote, where he calls them the most dangerous branch, um, that they weren't supposed to be, but they ended up being that way. Um, and this was later in Jefferson's life when he was kind of regretting how much power they were given, you know, that hmm. do you know like, what, what, what point in time this was like what year or around what time? the time that he made the quote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I assume this was well after his presidency, right. Or he had right. kind of observed twenties, like right before he died, like within okay. a few years before he died. So I think, uh, you know, so John Marshall was the, was the big, you know, Marbury versus Madison, right. uh, Supreme chief justice. And he's the one that kind of, you know, wrote that opinion that, that because of that, we have judicial review, Thomas yeah. Jefferson clearly by the end of his life, thought judicial review was a huge mistake and that lifetime appointments were a huge mistake. And he, you know, he sort of demonstrated that they've actually sneakily become the most powerful or the most dangerous branch. He didn't say most powerful. He said most dangerous. And, uh, because you know, most of what they do goes unnoticed, but it turns out it ends up making precedent by, by opinion. And, uh, you know, so it's directly from that. And, you know, that kind of sums it up for me, but it's an hour long episode. So I, I really try and articulate the, the, the argument, you know, as thoroughly as I can, but yeah, I just titled it Supreme court, the most, uh, the most dangerous branch. And then underneath that again, to try and I was trying to appeal to anybody, not just the right, you know, even though I'm, you know, most of the people that follow me tend to lean right. Um, but I'm trying to appeal to everybody. And it was good timing because Kavanaugh was, had just been appointed a few days before. But, mm -hmm. you know, I put, you know, basically I put in the, so the description, I put a link to the actual podcast. And then in the description, I had the title, Supreme Court, most, most uh, dangerous branch. And I said, you know, what would otherwise be the most 
boring constitutional topic has become practically clickbait in the in the wake of Kavanaugh-lips. You know, I, so yeah. I'm really not taking a stance in my own description because I want people to listen to it and 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 hear the argument and not have any preconceived notions. And what surprised me, and it really shouldn't have surprised me, I guess, I've had this epiphany now, um, was that I like immediately within a few minutes, like so. There's no, it's an hour long episode. There's no way they actually listen. These people who are commenting, right? <laughs> um, I got these, I got these comments, um, and uh, what was really troubling, it seemed that a bunch of people were under the impression that I was, I was clearly some left wing, you know, uh, Kavanaugh hater. And yeah. that's what I was doing. Yeah. If anything, I, I like Kavanaugh. Uh, I, I would prefer, you know, he wasn't my first choice, but uh, I'll, he seems to be pretty much an originalist. I mean, it's still up for debate how he's going to exactly how he'll go. But, I, you know, I, I like originalist judges. I don't think that's the perfect solution. The perfect solution to me would be to strip some power away from the Supreme Court so we wouldn't have to worry about if there were originalists or activists. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I explained that in the episode. But... People clearly didn't listen to the episode. It wasn't even a straw man. It was like an imaginary man that they made yeah. up. <laughs> People will do thought. that. The reactionaries exist, uh, you know, of all from all political perspectives. They see something that, well, in this case, like they see something that challenges their view. In this case, it's just something they think <laughs> challenges their view, but doesn't actually, and mm -hmm. uh, and they react. And it's um, it's something that even I will do from time to time. I catch myself doing, but you really have to remain diligent in saying if you're, if you're looking at a work or an argument or somebody's case about anything, you really have to step back and say, okay, I'm going to listen to the entire case before I figure yeah. out how I want to respond. Otherwise you end up looking like a fool and you're making an argument against an argument that doesn't exist. Exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was the first time it, so it should be obvious. Like what you just said, obviously that it's on the right too, but you know, and as obvious as that sounds, it was still an epiphany to me because uh, I would say that, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of this uh, intellectual dark web. And, I, mm -hmm. and, you know, even though they, they politically, you know, sit in very different places on, on different issues, one thing they seem to all have in common is that the big left, the, the far left mobs hate them all, right? So it seems like the left is, the, is a huge problem for even these politically left people or politically yeah. right people. And it's totalitarianism. So, yeah, it's totalitarianism, man. It's, right. it's about control versus freedom. And, and that's the fundamental distinction. All of those people are, they have viewpoints in which they are stern, of course, but fundamentally mm -hmm. they are all free thinkers. And above all else, they want to protect everyone's ability to think freely and challenge the status quo. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so... So the most troubling part wasn't just that they disagree with me. Uh, so I got a lot of this crap. So, uh, but the most troubling piece was that when people were using the word treason, like my second comment said, whoever wrote this is treasonous. And this again was 10 minutes after I posted it. So there's no way he actually listened to what I said, uh, to what I articulated. And, you know, and nothing in the, nothing in the description would indicate that I'm in the military either. So, you know, they just think I'm just some, they think I'm some left wing Kavanaugh hater, you know, probably Trump hater. And mm -hmm. they just, you know, assume that about me and put that what I posted was treasonous. And then, you know, that's one thing, but then it got like 20 likes within a few more freaking minutes. And then a couple comments later, a guy actually wrote more than that, but it started with this sounds like treasonous talk. And then went on to talk about how 
I just want to kill babies and I just want immigrants to come through the <laughs> through the wall, like all willy yeah. nilly or, you know, come through the border. Well, did you even express an opinion on Kavanaugh in this podcast? Was it like I did? I did. And it was a positive one. <laughs> oh, OK. So it wasn't so it wasn't even like points of caution or maybe you did have points of caution, but an overall endorsement yeah. generally. Yeah. In the end, I basically say, here's a good solution. Let's appoint originalist judges. Here's a better solution. Let's, you know, let's in legally reduce some Supreme Court power. And I, you know, articulate many ways we can do that. But it's yeah. the less good of two solutions to me, but it's still better than what we've had for decades, you know. Um, so anyway, <laughs> like, so he just got me all wrong. And I actually, so the first guy I didn't even engage with. The second guy I did engage with. I decided to change my damn description uh, which I shouldn't have to, and I, I hate that I caved like this. But yeah, don't don't cave I, to the terrorists. Yeah, I changed it to make it more clear that I was not anti-Kavanaugh. I tried not to just be like, I'm on the right. Listen to me, because I mean, I, I'm a libertarian. That happens. That that kind of means I'm so, I'm right of center. I think. Uh, I think it really. De well, I guess these yeah. days, yes, yeah. I guess. But in in years past, a lot of the like civil liberty stuff that was more. Yeah, I think that was more the domain of the left. And that's kind of why I was over there yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. There are a lot of civil liberties issues that I think the Democrats were more square on. Nowadays, I think they're yeah. off their rocker on pretty right. much all issues of liberty. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I changed the description a little bit where I just, you know, I made it more wordy and said, you know, uh, I put in there that the left is freaking out, you know, about Kavanaugh. That's it. I said, the left is freaking out about Kavanaugh, which really demonstrates our underlying issue, which is that the Supreme Court is too powerful. So I still got some negative feedback after that. But finally, I got uh, it seemed like people were actually, you know, engaging it a little bit more honestly because I wasn't overtly. It didn't seem like people weren't just assuming I was left wing, but it made me realize that like unreason is a problem on the right too. And just as yeah. like, maybe just as much, maybe they don't not as, maybe they're not as loud. Maybe they don't have as much institutional power, but that really hit me that like, you know, the right is really no better. And, and, and well, and I think only my audience, you know, I think so the really difference surprising. is, I think they can be as reactionary for sure. But I, I would say the difference is at least in my experience is those people aren't going to try to get you banned over it. Yeah. Like they, they might be wrong and they might yeah. be, they might argue with you for, for it you know, an infinite list of replies on YouTube if you indulge them. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to try to get you banned. And that's, that's the big difference. And that's, yeah. that's, I think the real enemy, like disagree with me all you want, but just don't try to deplatform me. But as you do this more, you know, you'll, you'll, I'm not saying you're trying to please everybody right now, but as you become weathered in yeah. this platform, you'll realize like, all right, you know, you can't please everybody. I'll try to people that are really trying to engage me. I'll give them, a response or two will explain our perspectives. Yeah. But if you're, if you're engaging and doing this infinite reply game, like mm, yeah. odds are you could probably be putting your energy to something more productive, like making more podcasts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I have a hard time letting stuff go, but I, I'm learning to do that more. And especially this most recent one got me the most hate of any, uh, even more than the gun one, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I think what's unique though, and I don't think it's unique to the right, but I've noticed it a lot on the right. The left's doing it in reference to Trump. They're using the word traitor or treasonous. And I think people don't understand how big of a charge that is. Like, so I know there's, they're, they're saying it harmlessly. Oh, treason. sorry. Oh, maybe we, I, maybe we have a little bit of a delay here. I can't tell. Okay. Anyway, uh, treason is the only constitutionally defined crime. It's very specific. Right. 
the, the reason it's in there is so you can't throw it around willy-nilly against your political opposition like this. That's the reason it's in there in the first place. So it's not a political sledgehammer, you know? Right. But they, they still do it anyway. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. And I think that's something that's coming up now. And I, I'm not saying it's new, but and the left is doing it largely to talk about Trump. But one thing I haven't seen a lot of, even from these angry leftist mobs, is using the word treasonous to talk about they just think you're you have no heart or no soul. They think you're a horrible person. But they but they themselves don't really tend to, you know, the far left people don't really give a shit about America or or, or you know, like they're not terribly loyal. So outside of Maxine Waters' office. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but this accusation of treason, I think I, I, I'm literally, I think I want to like my next little, it won't be like a full fledged podcast, but I think I want to do something shorter and just talk about treason because it's part of the constitution. Like you said, I want to talk about treason and try and get people to realize just how, how huge of an accusation that is. You're literally saying when you say what you just that's treasonous talk. You're literally saying you deserve to die for what you just said. Like they may not know that's what they're saying, but that's literally what they're saying. So that's troubling to me. Uh, I would love to talk about guns, but I think free speech, like I said, is kind of more important. And that's where we spent most of our time. But uh, if you'd like uh, real quick, I mean, I'm sure many more of your fans will listen to this than mine, but you know, the few of my fans that don't know who you are, you want to kind of plug how they can find you. You can find me uh, under Matt Christensen. It's, uh, it's a long last name, so all my links are kind of a pain to find. Christensen, Christian like the religion, S-E-N. So if you just Google me, you'll find my YouTube channel. If, you, uh, if you're if you still on Twitter and you haven't been banned yet, it's at Matt Christensen, and pretty much all my links are there. Um, but yeah, if you, if you type the name in, you should be able to find it. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I really appreciate you paying it forward and and, uh, you know, helping out little guys like me. No problem. I appreciated the conversation. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. This is Lieutenant Michael Autry signing off for now. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Unalienable. Please like the show's page at facebook.com slash unalienablepodcast. If you're interested, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Michael Autry on either one. That's Autry spelled A-U-T-E-R-Y. If you like the show and you want to help keep it going, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can talk about it on your own blog or podcast. Or if you'd like, you can support the show directly. You can do this by subscribing through patreon.com unalienable. Thanks again for listening, and thank you so much for your support of the show.